Growing up, I love to play with Lego. Got some here. I don't know about you. There's something magical about taking parts from a bin and imagining how each of them could be placed one with the other to create something bigger, something that transcended their individual parts and yet each of them was so necessary. How once that larger creation came into focus, the smaller parts seemed to fade as this larger entity came into being. The other day at our house, me and our kiddo, we built this spaceship from Captain Marvel. It took us about a week or so, meticulously opening the parts, following the directions, figuring out how all of the pieces came together. And after it was assembled, after that week-long process, we were playing with it, and it had a little crash. I mean, it, it kind of fell. And all of its parts started to break apart, and they were left on the floor. And we kind of looked at it, and firstly, we thought, well, <laughs> I feel like Lego should be a little bit more robust than this one, because it kind of seemed to break pretty easily. But the other question that came to my mind is what holds it together in the first place? I mean, Lego is pretty simple, right? You got these nubs, you got these holes, and they snap in. But it's a good question, right? What holds us together? What holds us together as humans? James Luther Adams, the UU ethicist, and minister, scholar of the rise of Nazism, his response to this question was clear. He took a parable of Jesus, the one where Jesus says that you'll know the prophets, you'll know the good news by its fruits, and changed it slightly and said, you'll know by their groups, you shall know them. By their groups. Saying in a sense that our ethics, our morals, what binds us together, what makes us good people, are revealed more in our relationships and the groups or institutions that we commit ourselves to rather than simply our intentions or our actions or are even us as individuals. It is in what binds us together and what we do when we are far more than the sum of our parts that defines us and binds us. It is that South African conception of Ubuntu, that I am because we are. It is this core tenet of our Unitarian Universalist faith, that of interdependence, that us, we are not isolated individuals, but rather an interdependent ecosystem of beings caught up, as Martin Luther King Jr. would say, in a garment of destiny together. What holds us together is our relationships with each other and how those relationships like Lego piece, Lego pieces build with each other something far more complex and with more utility than any individual, any individual part could imagine or muster. Building both structures of grace, beauty, and liberation, but also structures of evil.
When I watched the events unfolding on Capitol Hill this week, that question came to my mind, what is holding this group of people together? I mean, it was a gathering of white nationalists, of militia groups, of QAnon cultists, of old school tea partiers, those in love with the cult of personality around this president, but also many people simply who found themselves indoctrinated in the echo chamber of right-wing extremism found in Facebook groups, on the One America Network and on growing underground networks like Parler. Now many people as they saw the riot took place started to ap become apologists who were there for, for those who were there. I mean, they didn't really do that much wrong, right? They just broke in, broke a few windows. I mean, they probably got caught up in all of the fury. But what's important when we look at the social science behind riots and mass gatherings is that our notions of what goes on in that crowd matter because they can excuse the behaviors and misunderstand what is going on. See, there is this story, this theory about mass gatherings, crowds, and riots, is that when people join a crowd, they start to lose their sense of identity and individuality and adopt a mob mentality. That in that space, they do things that they wouldn't normally do. There's also a theory that in these mass gatherings, they attract a certain destructive or criminal element together what is called the mad mob. When, while it is true that riotous behavior increases the chance, um, that as riotous behavior increases, the chance of your individual arrest decreases, which can change people's incentives of how to act lawfully or unlawfully. What social psychologists are beginning to believe is that these theories that say we lose ourselves in the crowd do not actually explain what happens in these mass gatherings. Instead, in becoming a part of the crowd, the behavior of the crowd is not actually mindless, but is actually structured, coherent with meaning, and filled with conscious intent. Steve Riker, and. Uh, a social scientist analyzed some riots in the 1980s in St. Paul in Bristol, England. And what he found was that the collective identity of those gathered placed important constraints on what happened during the riots. It clearly limited what was a legitimate target and what was an illegitimate one. The police were a legitimate target. It also limited geographically how they engaged. Police were only attacked as they entered certain neighborhoods. He tells a story of being at a part, at part of the riot in which bricks were starting to be thrown at police. And one brick picked up by someone was thrown and broke a window of a bus. The crowd reacted, idiots, ugh. What we can take from this example is that there is something that governs the actions, that there is a policing that happens not in the directions from leaders, but in the ways the individuals engage with each other. That, ugh, idiots when they broke the bus 
window told the collective group in these small interactions what was okay and what was not. They didn't need a direction from some leader of this mass gathering. It happened in the small interactions in between protesters as they started to engage with each other. They co-created, if you will, what was okay and what was not okay as they moved through their space. Which means that crowds and riots and mass gatherings like what we saw on the Capitol can't be discounted as mindless or criminal as their actions both betray their association, their identities, and what shared values they held. For, as a, for if some of them strayed beyond the point of what their collective identity and values would allow, the crowd would have corrected and brought them back in, which is not what happened. So while a fraction of those gathered on the Capitol had specific targets and goals for their insurrection, the majority did not. But their collective identity of having being the defenders of a stolen election was one that consented and allowed for the whole actions to take place, which I think is a far more dangerous reality than a few militant extremists planning an insurrection, that the coup is in the water, that the coup is ongoing, that it is a part of the collective unconscious of this nation is a far more chilling effect than simply a few bad apples. As Gretchen said earlier, this gathering, this insurrection was not an exception, but the rule in America. For when we look at the identities that united those who gathered on Capitol Hill, who launched, launched this insurrection, they were united first by whiteness, the fragility of their dominant status under threat, and by the lies of an extreme echo chamber of propaganda, or put more Succinctly, as Adam Sewer wrote in The Atlantic this week, what we saw was a mob of white people threatening the 56-year-old experiment of multiracial democracy in this country. For the legitimacy of the votes in question came from communities of color. Trump's rhetoric of voter fraud is rooted primarily, of course, in black and people, communities of color in swing states, and thus, by implication direct and indirect, equates good governance as, as equating to disenfranchisement of communities of color. For these people who gather defending democracy, means stripping democracy away from others. Defending democracy means disregarding votes that in their America were never meant to count in the first place. Trump supporters across the country now believe that they have had an election stolen from them, a nation stolen from them, and they feel justified whether they rule by force, fraud, or law and their rules are the only acceptable outcomes. That collective identity, that group 
norm is a dangerous one, but is not new in a country that has defined itself by white dominance from its beginning. Slavjov Zikta, paraphrasing Antony, Antonio Gramsci, says, the old world is dying and the new world is struggling to be born. Now is the time of monsters. So how do we stop the spread of the monsters or at least limit their impact? Well, social scientist Damon Cantella has researched how social movements transform, how they hit tipping points in which they spiral out and have more impact than they thought possible. He found that once 25% of a populace adopted a certain perspective or attitude, it led to explosive change. Writing, if you want to change a culture or a social system, you need to understand the power of social networks. And I'm not talking about social media. Information and disease spread as simple contagions requiring only one contact for transmission. But social change typically spreads as complex contagions requiring multiple sources of social reinforcement to, endue, to induce adoption. You'll know what this means if you've ever played with Lego. I have two pieces of Lego here. Each of them has the same number of connections made between the bricks. This one here and this one here same number of contacts made between the two of them and yet you can see clearly that one is stronger than the other. It's not simply how many connections you have but how all the pieces fit together. For to get that 25% tipping point, to get that 25% of the community on board, what you need is strong social ties, multiple connections between people, friends knowing friends, neighbors knowing neighbors, connections across social groups, diverse social groups, for when you have that sort of adoption, viral and transformative and explosive change is possible. Which shows you how dangerous isolation can be or it's easy to lose perspective if you're only connected in one way. Easy to be swept up in the movements of propaganda and the lies without the redundant ties that can bring you back together. Now, in our country, right-wing and anti-democratic segregationists are organizing, and we have reached a tipping point of sorts and the question will be, how do we respond? For if we remember our history, 10 years before Germans voted Hitler into office, who would already and would continue to have taken away their freedoms and their democratic rights, he too led a failed coup attempt and got a slap on the wrist. And he decided it would be easier to erode democratic institutions slowly than try an armed insurrection again the old world is dying, the new world is struggling to be born, and now is the time of monsters. So what holds us together? Well, it is our small connections. The small connections that move a crowd 
towards its values, the small connections between neighbors knowing each other. So it is our work to find the tipping point with the most strong and diverse relationships, refusing the isolation of anyone, for that is where the radicalization occurs. It is to defend the democratic institutions that give us the fighting chance for the freedom for all. Now I told you about that crash that we had with our spaceship, it fell down on the ground and we sat there kind of stunned, annoyed at all of our hard work and we tried to put the pieces back together. We started with the biggest pieces, of course. We didn't go back to the drawing board. We tried to figure out how all the pieces would fit back together and they mostly seemed to do so. I mean, we got the most important pieces, right? But after we had assembled all that we could, we looked down at the ground and we saw there was a bunch of pieces that were still left there. A bunch of parts that didn't fit back together. We didn't know where they fit. And all of the pieces that were left were all of the tiny pieces. The ship looked like it was back together, mostly. But as we played with it, we realized its integrity was compromised and it continued to fall apart over and over again. For it is the tiny pieces that made all the difference. The relationships between people, the old practices and sometimes odd of a democratic culture, the divisions between truth and fiction, the small moments of truth telling, these small moments, these small pieces can only be put back together one piece at a time. And that is our work to do together. Amen. And blessed be.